Welcome to Talking Tax. I'm Tom Yamachika of the Tax Foundation of Hawaii. Jay Fidel has the day off. Uh, today we're going to be uh, talking about the tax press. And yes, Virginia, there is such a thing. Uh, back in a minute. Good morning. Uh, this is Talking Tax, and I have with me uh, a senior reporter from the publication known as Tax Analyst. It's a national publication. His name is Paul Jones. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Just great. So uh, there is, in fact, a tax press, a national tax press, and you're and you're it at least for for um, covering our region. Uh, so can you give us an idea of you know what your organization is like and what you do for it? Yeah, so I, as you said, I write for a publication called Tax Notes, uh, or Tax Analysts. The publication is called Tax Notes. The organization is called Tax Analysts. And I cover state tax news on the uh, sort of the west coast of the United States with a focus on state tax policy and, uh, and local tax policy to some extent as well. And our publication focuses on uh, tax policy because obviously you have uh, attorneys, uh, accountants, lobbyists, uh, academics, and people like that who want to drill down a little bit more specifically into various elements of tax policy that sometimes aren't covered by the local press because it, is, it isn't uh, as much uh, of an interest to the average reader or because they want some more specificity. But it is, uh, it's very much like any other type of uh, reporting, uh, just with a particular focus on uh, on tax policy. And I should note, tax analysts covers both uh, international and national news. Yeah, so we're not covering car crashes or murders, uh, but we are covering tax news. Right. So, 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 what are you following now uh, in uh, in this region of the of the United States? There's a whole bunch of things happening. Uh, I've in in Alaska, they're uh, dealing with. Uh, you know, a continuing problem that they've had over the years with fluctuations in oil tax revenue. So there are some proposals now to look at maybe like, for example, a state sales tax. I'm not sure if that's going to go very far. Uh, California just passed uh, legislation advocated by Governor Newsom that would create a uh, sort of a special commission to look into oil prices. Uh, we had a significant spike in oil prices uh, at the end of uh, this last summer. And Governor Newsom advocated initially a sort of a tax that would act essentially as a uh, kind of a means of controlling the price of oil. The uh, the tax would be assessed on what was deemed to be excessive oil prices and then returned to taxpayers. The uh, final form uh, creates a commission that can level uh, a, a fine or a penalty on oil companies if it determines that they are uh, gouging people for prices. Um, you know, I'm, I'm following some policy discussions in Arizona that would look at uh, maybe changing uh, the corporate tax rates uh, to match the uh, the personal income tax rate. Uh, there's also some proposals, for example, to reduce taxes on uh, personal property to help businesses along. And then, of course, in Hawaii, you know, there's a number of policies, including the Green Affordability Plan, 
which looks at indexing tax rates and increasing some of the uh, the exemptions and uh, and credits, uh, particularly to help lower income people. I would say that the main issues that I'm looking at right now, the sort of the, the macro issues are states are worried about a potential recession. A lot of states have surpluses, but they're worried that that won't last. California, which has a very unstable uh, tax base, you know, that, that peaks when the market's doing well and then falls when the market's doing poorly, we're looking at a deficit when last year we were looking at billions of dollars in surplus. Uh, states are competing for semiconductor projects. You know, Oregon is looking and, and Texas is looking at potentially creating incentives or inducements to have semiconductor uh, companies come in and build. And that's in response to the CHIPS Act that was approved last year to help the U.S. be more competitive and, uh, and produce more semiconductors. And then there is concern about inflation and the impact that inflation, uh, as it continues, is having on the buying power of particularly uh, poorer residents. You know, Arizona... Uh, uh, Republic, the Republican majority in Arizona recently passed a bill to, uh, I think it was to eliminate taxes on food. The governor vetoed that by, she argued that it, it wouldn't help people very much because it wouldn't take effect until I think 2025. But the, the argument behind that legislation was to try and reduce the pressure on uh, particularly lower income earners, but really all people. And uh, inflation is is one of the things that's driving a lot of talk about cutting taxes. Yeah, so, uh, and that, uh, I guess, drives the talk about the green affordability plan here. Is, 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 is that true? Yeah, and it, it's, I think it may also be, uh, you know, sort of a larger question of policy. There are about 17 states, I think, I'm looking at the Tax Foundation's numbers on it, that currently adjust uh, tax brackets to reflect inflation. And, you know, that is something that if, if uh, Hawaii did that, that would provide some relief to people. But it is also sort of a larger policy question. If you have a progressive income tax, one of the purposes of that is to make sure that lower income people pay a lower uh, proportion of their income uh, in income taxes. Because, you know, the first part of your income that you have, you're spending that on things like your essentials, food, insurance, housing, and so on and so forth. And when those rates are initially set, if there isn't an adjustment for inflation, then over time, you know, as inflation occurs, uh, employers will pay people more, you know, to, to ensure they have buying power. But if rates don't change with that, if the, the level at which a given rate applies stays constant, then eventually people's uh, purchasing power is affected differently because the uh, higher and higher tax rates that originally, you know, applied up, you know, further up as their income increased are sort of being moved down. The, they're staying the same, but in terms of your buying power, you're paying higher rates on uh, on the early part of your income. Yeah, I mean we've called we've called that bracket creep. Yeah, that's a uh, in, in in the reporting that that we've been doing, uh, and uh, uh, we we kind of note very kindly that um, the green the green affordability plans uh, one of the, one of the centerpiece bills uh, is proposing to index the brackets for inflation. And it hasn't done. We we haven't done that ever, uh, mm -hmm. and this this would be kind of a first time in the uh, and and the Department of Taxation, you know, the the agency charged with enforcing it, 
uh, used to give the excuse that, well, you know, we don't have technology that can support it. You know, we've got hard-coded this and hard-coded that. Uh, but, but this year they're not putting up a fuss. So uh, we are hopeful we can get something like that uh, in the code this year, but that remains to be seen. Right. And the last time I checked, I think the uh, the bills uh, that were part of the uh, the green plan, and I'm going to check quickly, I think that's... Uh, yeah, they did pass the Ways and Means Committee. So Yeah, the Senate Ways and Means Committee. As HB 954 and HB 1049 appear now to be the primary vehicles. Um, there was another one, but I, I'm not sure if that one is well no they 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 were they were segregating some of the tax credit proposals i think into another bill but it, it did seem like it was moving forward but obviously uh it has to uh to pass and then ultimately the changes have to be approved so i think there's going to be maybe some sort of a a process of negotiation in the legislature does that sound right to you yeah uh, we now go to conference committee because uh there will be differences between the house and senate versions so uh, that's in the next couple of weeks, so we're all right. kind of holding our breath for that. So uh, have there been any uh, national issues uh, that Hawaii has been in the middle of? Like, uh, I, I know there was a, a push to introduce a wealth tax yes. uh, in, in seven states, including Hawaii. Um, how, is that, how is that going along? So that was eight states, including Hawaii, uh, that uh, lawmakers, progressive lawmakers in those states, uh, came out, I think it was in January, and uh, and announced that they were pursuing a number of bills to increase taxes on higher levels of wealth. And uh, some of those bills involved things like uh, increasing taxes on estates under certain circumstances, increasing capital gains taxes. Uh, there were a couple of proposals to create mark-to-market taxes, which are taxes on the uh, the increase in value of assets before a person realizes gains on them. And then there were some wealth tax proposals as well uh, in uh, in California and Washington. In particular, two proposals were resurrected that would actually tax uh, in Washington, I think it's a, a person's financial intangible assets. And uh, in California, it was more general than that. And in Hawaii, the wealth tax legislation, I'm going to scroll down here. Yeah, no, it, it died. Um, yeah, they, they're, none of them, I think, have moved forward. There were a couple bills that were part of the, the eight-state effort. Uh, one of them, let's see, this was, uh, I think it was HB 151 had to do with repealing the exemption uh, for taxes imposed on the transfer of taxable estate that's located in Hawaii, specifically for non-residents and non-residents who aren't citizens. There was a proposal, SB 38, to uh, tax capital gains, I guess, as regular income to eliminate the, um, the special rate for those. And then another one, SB 925, that I think was looking to impose a tax of 1% on a person's net worth that was in excess of 20 million which uh, I, I don't think that has moved since February. Yeah, I think they're all dead by now. Um, so what's is, is there anything like that alive in any, any of the other states in which it was introduced? I mean, the, the bill in Washington is still alive. The bill in California was uh, recently, uh, it was moved to a committee and, and I think they have a hearing coming up. But those bills have been introduced before and they've not they've not been successful. And I spoke with experts in February after the eight states, uh, you know, 
of the, the lawmakers in eight states rolled out those proposals. And people were somewhat skeptical that they were going to pass anything this year. Uh, in part because some states are not particularly hard up for revenue, and also because this is really part of a, a sort of a long-term debate over uh, taxation of wealth. And uh, and in some respects, the uh, push by these state lawmakers uh, is is intended to create conversation about the issue and sort of develop, uh, they're trying to develop support for this concept. And they're arguing that, you know, higher income people are able to sort of put their wealth in the form of uh, of investments and the like that, that are not taxed and that states often can't tax unless someone realizes gains. Uh, one of the concerns, you know, that people have, have raised is the ability of someone to work in a, a state like California and generate an enormous amount of uh, of increase in their wealth and then leave the state, cease being a resident, and realize their gains somewhere else in a lower tax state. So none of them, I think, are likely to pass this year. But, uh, you know, I spoke with Jared Walczak of the Tax Foundation, which takes a skeptical view of these these proposals. And, uh, you know, what he told me is that he takes them seriously, and he thinks other people should take them seriously. Uh, I spoke with Noel Frame, who is the a, a senator in uh, Washington. She's the author of the uh, Washington wealth tax proposal. And she said, you know, she's hopeful she can get something passed this year. But even if not, uh, you know, this is a long-term process of sort of exposing people to the idea, making their arguments, holding hearings, finessing the concept. So are we likely to see a major wealth tax proposal pass in a state this year? I don't know. I, I kind of doubt it. But this is... You know, it, it's a campaign, essentially. And that's why you had all these states come together, uh, which is they these lawmakers in these different states all decided to coordinate their uh, their pursuit of these bills this year to, to generate attention and also to, uh, you know, to to get people thinking about uh, what they're proposing. Sorry, I'll let you cut in. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, uh, we're, we're interested to hear, uh, you know, the use the news out of your mouth, not mine. Mm. Uh, they, you know, people listen to me all the time on this show because uh, I'm I'm the only, <laughs> I'm the only one other than Jay Fidel. Right. Um, but uh, you so know, if, if I could add something, sorry, on the wealth tax legislation, sure. it is kind of an interesting idea. You know, one one part of my reporting on these proposals was. In Washington, they don't they don't have an income tax. Uh, there's actually some news on that front. I, I think that might be a bit of a, a deviation for us. But they traditionally, you know, they have no income tax, and so Frame uh, has has presented her tax uh, bill as a property tax because you can do property taxation in Washington, provided that you follow uh, the constitutionally prescribed limits. And uh, the argument that she made to me is that an average American, you know, if they own a house, that may be their main appreciating asset and they pay property taxes on that. Whereas someone who's very high income may own a lot of assets uh, that they don't pay taxes on. And so she was sort of presenting this as an idea that, you know, this is a means of, uh, of taxing someone's wealth. Uh, that is, in a way, sort of treating it the way that the the wealth of a lot of Americans are taxed. And now I spoke with someone else on the other side who said that the property taxes you pay on your home, you know, those are 
partly, you know, in light of the fact that you're probably sending your kids to the local school, that you're using the local services. So it, it's sort of an, in, an opportunity to sort of look at how tax policy involves political questions of fairness. You know, I think one of the uh, one of the things people often think of when they think about, you know, tax reporting is, oh, it must be very dry. It must be all about, you know, sort of arcane legal concepts. Uh, but it, it's interesting when you dig into it, sort of the the meritorious arguments that people bring up for or against given policies. Yeah, a lot of it is social policy. Um, I mean, I've, I've found that there are as many, uh, you know, social policy proposals that are funded by tax, like tax credits, tax incentives, exemptions, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we had no shortage of those this year uh, because of the surplus. I think this, mm -hmm. the same must have been true in other states. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, I mean, Utah's governor just signed uh, legislation providing a bunch of tax breaks, many of them aimed at lower income people. One trend I've noticed is, is exempting uh, uh, like veterans pay from income tax. Uh, that's been popular uh, because obviously pretty sympathetic. And uh, Texas, you know, Texas doesn't have an income tax, but it does uh, generate a lot of revenue from uh, from property tax. And they're looking at right now, they're discussing uh, cutting taxes uh, coming up with a, a couple of different mechanisms. There's a dispute between sort of the the lieutenant governor who's head of the Senate and the Speaker of the House as to how, but they want to curb uh, the increase in property tax growth. And that's partly because the values of property in Texas have been going up, so the tax burden has been going up, but also because the state is looking at a surplus, and so it feels that it can afford that. Um, but, you know, it, you also have to be careful uh, to not let a, a short-term surplus uh, cause lawmakers to to you know approve long term tax cuts that they can't afford, which is why you sometimes see policymakers put things like revenue triggers in that limit uh, property tax reductions over a period of years that that make them conditional upon uh, continued revenue growth and things like that. Okay, I mean, the, so a wealth tax in that respect would sound a little bit like a personal property tax that some states have. That's how. Uh, Senator Frame was putting it, you know, it, 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 I guess you could call it sort of like a property tax, but also, I mean, I, I think I like the term wealth tax because on one level, you know, you're, you're trying to tax, uh, what a person owns in terms of its value before they're realizing gains. And, you know, again, with property taxes, uh, there is sort of the premise that you, uh, that you're paying property taxes in part, you know, the original idea was that your business is operating in a factory in this place or that your house is situated in this community. And so there was a nexus between the property taxes you paid and presumably the services that you were using and the benefit that you were getting from local government. Um, you know, the idea behind a lot of these wealth taxes, I think, is that the there is concern, particularly by progressives, that uh, very wealthy people, you know, people with tens of millions of dollars of net worth uh, and, and above uh, have so many instruments available to put that large amount of wealth away for long periods of time and avoid taxation. And of course, there are a lot of people who want to fund a great deal of spending uh, and believe that they could they could generate the revenue to do that if they could just get a, get after uh, some of the wealth that's been put away by these people. And, you know, you have people say it's not fair that, 
you know, uh, that someone can put away an enormous amount of wealth and not pay taxes on it. Conversely, other people point out that particularly in states with progressive income tax codes, wealthy people do pay quite a bit of the taxes, uh, yeah, income taxes, for example, that uh, that fund state operations. Yeah, it's it's, it's the so-called principle of Pareto optimality, right? Um, oh, twenty <laughs> percent of the people pay eighty percent of the tax, or at least it's it's uh, or or twenty percent of the you know one class pays eighty percent of you know the associated benefit. Uh, and, and I think I've heard that to be true in the tax context. It, it's kind of a twenty eighty principle. Maybe I mean it, it definitely is the case that in, in places where you have a progressive income tax, uh, you can and like in California, you know, higher income people, especially since we tax capital gains uh, the same as regular income, and we have a pretty steeply progressive uh, tax code. Yeah, a great deal of the uh, the raw revenue is paid by those people, but of course you also then have the discussion about regressivity. So for example, in Washington state, I don't remember the specific numbers, but uh, lower income people, you know, they pay a, a very significant percentage of their wealth in taxes, uh, or, or I should say of their income in taxes. Yeah, and it's because in Washington state, there's no income tax. Yeah. Uh, and they have to rely on sales tax, which doesn't uh, care about how much you're making or how much you have. Right. It's a consumption tax. And, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 again, it creates these sort of interesting, uh, dilemmas as, as to how you, uh, how you go about structuring a tax code to try and be fair and, and the different things you have to take into account. Uh, you know, there isn't really one perfect tax that's fair in every way. It's, I, I think just by having reported on this for years now, that it's a balance. Uh, and that you constantly sort of have to look at the reality of the economy, uh, et cetera, and, and your tax code to try and, and kind of thread that needle. So where do you see the, um, uh, the biggest area for credits and incentives or, uh, or other kinds of tax relief? I mean, in, in, in Hawaii, it's been in so many disparate areas. Um, there have been credit proposals all over the map. Mm -hmm. uh, but have have they been concentrated in any particular uh, area of that that you've seen? Do you mean nationally? Yeah, nationally. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of proposals for incentives uh, for like businesses, but you're talking about like individuals, regular uh, taxpayers. Oh, any anything. Oh well, uh, as as I mentioned previously, the uh, the passage of the Chips Act. So you know, we're obviously in a situation now where. There's concern about our supply chains that was influenced by the pandemic. Uh, there's concerns about sort of our relationship with China and, and our dependence on Taiwan for a lot of advanced semiconductors. So the federal government is trying to incentivize uh, semiconductor businesses to build facilities here in the U.S. You know, there's almost a, a sort of a national security angle to it. We want to make sure that we're not vulnerable, you know, to to foreign suppliers and disruptions. And uh, the money that the federal government is providing is prioritized for states that provide a good mix of uh, incentives. So I'm seeing states roll out proposals for property tax incentives, research and development credits, you know, uh, particular uh, programs to provide deals, that, and they're looking to bring in these factories uh, to to build these chips. And you know, there's a lot of competition right now 
And as anyone who's covered tax policy for a while can tell you, when there's a whole bunch of competition between states to bring in big businesses, they can often create deals, you know, that in retrospect uh, don't look as good. You know, you you win as a state by bringing in this big company that's going to build all these things. And then you go, oh, my God, how am I going to pay for this now? <laughs> yeah. And it turns out, you know, that there weren't as many jobs created as you were hoping. Or, you know, one of the biggest disasters was the Foxconn plant. I think was that in Wisconsin. Um, I'm going to double check that. But that was that was one that was approved, I think, during the, the uh, Trump administration. And they were proposing to build a, a big factory. And uh, it, it, it more or less fell through. Yeah, that was in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think that's quite the same situation we're looking at now. I think there's a really serious push to bring in these, these semiconductors. But, you know, if you're a tax watchdog or just a taxpayer, this is a good time to also keep a close eye on what's being proposed in the legislature because there's a, a huge sort of there's a lot of pressure on policymakers to make sure that they they win. We saw a a lot of competition between 2017 and 2018 when Amazon and this this was more the mainland. I don't know uh, how much Hawaii was affected by this. No, we were. Yo, you were as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every well, that doesn't surprise me. Everyone was competing for Amazon's second headquarters, and some of the. Uh, the incentives that were provided were sort of eye-opening because it was considered such a big win to try and land this uh, this headquarters uh, but you know that that's one thing that i'm covering now is is competition between states to try and bring in these these semiconductor f uh, factories as well as as you know electric vehicle and battery and energy type projects okay um is there like uh, some advice you can give to our lawmakers about, uh, you know, how our uh, tax policy compares to other states, for example? That's a hard one. I know we're running up on time here. You know, it. I would say, and, and I'm, I'm in a bad position here because as a reporter, I try not to, to advocate for given policies. But as I think, I think I said before, my sense is that the best thing for states to do is to try and make sure that they have a mix of tax policies, that they're not leaning too much on consumption taxes uh, or on steeply progressive income taxes. You want to try and balance everything. And it's also really important for policymakers to sort of take a, a long view. You know, I've seen uh, states uh, you know, get a little bit more interested in creating rainy day funds, but you can be like in California's case, you know, last year we were looking, I don't remember the number, but billions and billions of dollars uh, in surplus revenue. And then at the beginning of this year, when Governor Newsom proposed his budget, you know, we're looking at billions in deficits. Yeah, it, we, was, it was like a like a hundred hundred billion dollar swing. We have something on that level or a huge magnitude. And California has been, and this is something that Jerry Brown uh, emphasized, we've, we have been putting more money away into a rainy day fund. Alaska is a, a state that is able to rely on, uh, on oil tax revenue, or it was for a long time, and now it's having some trouble. They put a ton of money away into a sovereign wealth fund, the permanent fund. But um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of concern now in Alaska about how to use that wealth, how to make sure that it doesn't infringe on the dividend payments that Alaskans receive and expect from the government that come from the earnings reserve of that fund, and and what future Alaska is going to have in terms of how is it going to fund itself as 
uh, it's assumed the oil industry, you know, may be less and less able to provide the sort of revenue that it did in the past. So, you know, for, for Hawaiian lawmakers, it's important to take a look at the state's present and its future and to, you know, and to be, to be prudent in how it uses the wealth that it has. But, uh, you know, I, I think that when I look at the green plan, you know, the idea of indexing uh, rates and uh, and indexing, increasing and indexing some of the exemptions for lower income earners, that seems like that's well within, you know, sort of the uh, the normal and uh, and prudent sort of range of tax policies. I think that reform, you know, I don't know if, if it'll succeed, but if it if it is put into law, I think that that will prove fairly effective. Uh, at least at helping uh, the average Hawaiian citizen deal with uh, some of the costs of living in the state. Yeah, and there are a lot of those. Okay, yes. that was uh, Paul Jones, Senior Reporter with Tax Analysts. Uh, thank you for joining us today on uh, Talking Tax. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. It was a lot of fun. Okay, take care. And uh, 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 fans of Talking Tax, we'll be back next time. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.